0: following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. This is like being at home, although it's Texas. In Oregon, uh, we have a men's ministry. We call it High Ground, and uh, we meet every Sunday morning at 7 in the morning, and again on Tuesday at 6. Uh, Repeat sessions, so you come, you pick your choice, and uh, it's made a difference in a lot of our lives, including my own. Um, it's a delight for me to be with you guys, especially men who are willing to say we want to work about warrior's heart. That means everything to me because we happen to serve the greatest warrior that ever lived, uh, the King of all of creation, who will put it all back together, coming on a white horse with a sword out of his mouth and a blood spattered robe, and he'll. Initiate the war to end all wars upon a day, but thanks for letting me be with you. Uh, Dr. Bruce is uh, an old friend. Um, we actually went to church together in Oregon for a while, and uh, so we could both bring you greetings from the left coast. That's uh, we live in the outposts. We're living amongst the barbarians. So if you think about it, uh, uh, pray for us there in Oregon. Um, I want to. I want to talk with you. I, I just just learned last night that you've been studying uh, Joshua, and uh, I happen to love the book of Joshua, and particularly this fellow named Caleb. Uh, if I had known Caleb like I know him now when I was having sons, we would have a son named Caleb. Uh, I love this man. I love this book. I love the whole Bible. You have to love the Bible. I, I'm grateful for a father who is uh, still alive and doing well in his approaching mid-90s now, who's always been a man of the book. My picture of my dad is at the living room table with the Bible out in front, and all kinds of study helps with him, and studying, studying, studying the Scripture. People think he's a retired pastor. Actually, his career track was from coal mining to a city fire department. Uh, but he knows and loves Jesus because he knows and loves Jesus' word. And I commend you for being that kind of people. It's a very good thing. Um, so I didn't know you were in Joshua, and I'd planned to do something that's been very meaningful to me and to our guys this morning, which happens to come out of Joshua 14. So wherein there may ever be any kind of a slight contradiction with uh, Teacher Bruce, go with him, okay? You can't imagine how intimidating it is to have to preach every week with people like that in the congregation. It's uh, it's overwhelming to small minds like mine. Um, let me just lead us in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for being with us here this morning. Thank you for uh, uh, living in our hearts, for pulling our heads, for stretching our hearts and souls and minds, and our prayer this morning is that you would um, would touch us with something that comes back again and again and again from your spirit to ours so we could live like we should in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever noticed that life seems like a, a battle? seems like a bit of a fight at times. In fact, it seems like a struggle at every level. That's because it is. We live on a cursed planet. We live amongst a depraved race. Uh, and we have an enemy, an adversary of our souls. So it's no wonder that everything is a struggle. Everything is a fight. Everything is a battle. Even the good things. Have you noticed, like marriage? Um, my parents are still alive at 95, or 93 and 91. And um, at their 70th anniversary several years ago, uh, some of the church folks ask, what's what's the secret? And my dad said, well, he said, we've only had one fight. Now it's still going on, uh, but it looks like it's going to work out. That's, that's my father. Uh, so life's a battle. So I, I think the warrior theme is very apropos to all of our lives. I want to work on that a little bit. I had the privilege of uh, visiting the troops in Afghanistan a couple of times. And uh, one of the times, uh, a major general who was... Uh, commanding the major unit in Afghanistan at the time, the 10th Mountain Division, he was welcoming some of his troops into the country. And uh, he said to them uh, these words, I need three things from every one of you. I need you to be physically fit. We're at 10,000 feet. Uh, we're in snow. You need legs and lungs. Okay? So you be physically fit. I need you to be tactically fit. The man on either side of you, he's depending upon you knowing what you're doing. So I need you that way. I need you physically fit and tactically fit, and I need you spiritually fit. And then he said, and if you don't know what spiritual fitness is, then you make an appointment with me. And I know it's not hard, it's not easy to get in to see a two-star general, so if you can't get to me, but I am open to you, and if you can't get to me, get to your chaplain, because your spirit is everything. That's what he said. I think he was referring to... um, Uh, another statement from another great warrior who was a brilliant mind by the name of George C. Marshall. Do you recognize that name? Seems like ancient history in our fast-moving world, but it's not. He was a general when I was alive. That's how old I am. Uh, He's the guy that basically put Ike in his spot in World War II and uh, was a brilliant man later Secretary of State. The Marshall Plan kind of revived Europe. And he said this. He said, The warrior's heart, I appreciate your name, the warrior's heart The warrior's soul, the warrior's spirit is everything. Now, either he was being hyperbolic or just kind of carried away with the moment and embellishing, or he meant it. George Marshall was the kind of man who meant what he said and said what he meant. He said, the warrior's soul, heart, spirit is everything. If a man cannot sustain his soul, he will fail himself, his commander, and in the end, his country. So, George Marshall saw the warrior's heart as everything, and he ought to know because he was the warrior of warriors in our country upon a day. Why would he say such a thing as that? I want to read a little passage from Joshua chapter 14 that I think gives us some of the elements of a warrior's heart. I uh, left my Bible at home, but fortunately I have the passage here. Um... There are some, this is historical narrative, you know, it's not quite like a doctrinal epistle of the New Testament, but it has some, as the New Testament says, these things all happened as examples for us. And we can draw some things from these narratives that are consistent with passages throughout Scripture. And I want to do that with you today um, by reading from Joshua 14. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says, Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kinezite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke? You remember the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. You remember he was a member of the first special forces A-team. There were 12 guys doing long-range recon in the land of Canaan to ascertain what it was that they were up against. And uh, two of those guys came back with a minority report, Joshua and Caleb, the ones we're looking at today, and the other ten panicked out. And the difference was the warrior's soul, or lack of it, in them, I believe. He said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him, as it was in my heart. There are some phrases in this narrative that jump off the page to me and mean a lot. One of them is that one. Probably that's the strongest one. As it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I follow the Lord my God fully. It's another powerful phrase. Now behold, the Lord's let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that Moses, from the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses. Notice the continual references to history, to past, to remembrance, to recollection, to recall, to rehearsal. Those are important principles for the warrior heart. The Lord's let me live as he spoke these 45 years now from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I'm 85 years old today, encouraging to me, uh, pushing right up on 70 now. Uh, I'm in the fourth quarter. Uh, Most of us are in the second half, which is when all the great contests are won anyway, so we should all be encouraged. I remember Prof. Hendricks at DTS saying his ministry the last couple of decades was going around the country trying to drag warriors off of the golf course and back into the battle. Uh, So you and I are still in it. I was 85 years old. Man, look at that. I'm 85 years old today. And listen now, I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength is now for war, for going out, and for coming in. I don't think he's talking about his bench press, but I think he's talking about the warrior heart, that is, in fact, the most critical element of the battle, far more important than muscle or firepower. Now then, give me the hill country, the toughest obstacle, about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim, the sons of Anak, these mutations were there with great fortified cities. I love this phrase. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I'll drive them out. I love that. What can we learn from this passage about the warrior's heart and about the battles that we face every day? There's any number of things, but let me just start this way. I want to start with that little phrase, as it was in my heart. Uh, I take it that what he was saying is, I saw things differently because of what was inside. I saw things differently from the other ten, like you did, Joshua, because of what was inside. My heart told me what to see. In other words, I have a vision that has a vertical dimension to it. I don't just see the horizontal that's out there in front of me, but I recognize that God is sovereign. This is not the real world. He's in charge, and so I can see differently. I believe something in my heart. I have a sense of transcendent cause. That's what I call it. The key to the warrior's heart is a sense of transcendent cause. That's what I think Marshall was hinting at. That's what General Frackley was hinting at in Afghanistan. It's what's in here that carries the day. And sure enough, all the studies bear that out. You know the name Victor Davis Hanson? Uh, classicist, Sanford, uh, military historian. He did a book one time called The Soul of Battle, where he took three major campaigns that should have been over in a flash with the other side winning, but in fact, the side that shouldn't have won sustained the day, took the day, and won a great victory. And he studied three of these campaigns, one in the Peloponnesian War and one in the American Civil War and uh, one in World War II, where military units who should have been not only completely were outgunned but shouldn't have survived the day and not only survived it but carried the day, and he tried to see if there were any comparisons that could, could, uh, you could make between those three uh, issues. And this is his conviction. This is the premise of the book. Conviction overpowers firepower every time conviction over firepower, heart, soul, and mind, what's internal, what's inside, as it was in my heart, what you believe is what carries the day. That's really true. A sense of transcendent cause. You have to believe it's not about you. You have to believe in something larger. Uh, I grew up in this little coal mining town uh, in central Washington. <clears throat> my friends' names were all immigrants who knew how to dig a hole in the ground. and I had friends whose names were Klobuchar and Gullabic and Osmanovic and Katalinich. And there was my Italian friends, Imani and Capoletti and Pistarezi and Pisolato. <laughs> it was quite a town. In fact, the, the rumor was when Eddie Gidroni was in second grade and the school nurse told him to cover his eye and ask if he could read that bottom line in the chart, he said, Eddie said, read it. I know the guy. He only lives two houses away, you know. <laughs> but growing up in that little town, I remember walking down 3rd Street. There were only three. We lived on 3rd Street. And Dad would walk me toward the city hall, which was basically a garage for the little uh, fire engine that the volunteer fire department used. But out in front of that little city hall was this magnificent uh, memorial, uh, black stone, as I recall, as a little boy, and then these two large uh, anti-aircraft pieces, World War II vintage, in front. And on that little black monument were the names of the names that were on the mailboxes, the Imonis and Capilettis and Pistorazis and Pizzolatos, Two of the names really struck out to me. All the names below the line, Dad said, these are the guys that went to give us freedom. These are the guys that lived for something larger than themselves. And above the line are the guys that lived so much larger than themselves that they didn't come home. They gave their lives for us. One of the names that was up there was Prokopovich. In fact, two of the names were Prokopovich. Mom and Pop Prokopovich gave both of their sons so that I could walk down 3rd Street as a 6-year-old boy free. Free to know God, free to worship him, free to assemble, free to speak, free. These guys died. Another one of those names was one of my dad's best buddies in high school, Doug Monroe. Uh, Last week, I happened to be in Washington, D.C. with a grandson, and we visited the U.S. Coast Guard headquarters and had lunch with one of the leaders of the Coast Guard there. I discovered as we walked into the brand-new Coast Guard headquarters, the building is named the Monroe Building. Uh, Doug Monroe from the little coal mining town of Cleelum gave everything he had on September twenty seventh, 1942. They had landed a Marine battalion on Guadalcanal. Uh, the battalion was getting the slats kicked out of their lives. The order for extraction came. They asked for volunteers. Doug raised his hand. He took a little flotilla of Higgins boats in there, and he put his boat between the beach where the Marines were and the high ground where the Japanese guns were and tried to draw the fire and tried to suppress it with these two little twin thirty caliber guns that the Higgins boats had, and it was effective. They they got began to get the Marines off, but the odds caught up with Doug, and he took a a bullet through the base of his skull. His last words were, "Did we get them all off? Did we get them all off?" Now, most guys, I would think, would be calling for their mothers, or or for God, or for some sort of panic. But Doug was saying, did we accomplish our purpose? That's the sense of transcendent cause that carries the day. It's not about me. It's about something much larger. Now, that's just on a physical level. I asked Dad, did Doug really know what he was doing, or was he just one more guy that got caught up in the flotsam and jetsam of combat in the Pacific? He said, no, Doug was a Christian boy who was solid as a rock and knew what his life was about. And so for him, it was just one more day the way he lived, a sense of transcendent cause. Could you identify yours? And I don't mean just give the right answer. I mean, we know that the ultimate transcendent one is the ultimate transcendent cause. But but could you articulate it in words that actually impact your life every day when you get up, when you drive, when you find yourself at work, this is who I am and why I am and what I do and here are the reasons and this is what I carry in my heart. A sense of transcendent cause. My life isn't about me. It's about someone and something much larger, and that permeates every moment on the battlefield of life. Could you say that? Uh, Last Monday night with a group of friends, who were thinking Christians, by the way, I watched 24. It's okay. Good entertainment, you know. But here's what struck me. These were thinking people I was with, and I love them dearly. We've been together for a lot of years. They could remember everything from every episode four years ago. I'm thinking, holy cow, are these guys smart, or were they focused? Well, I think they were focused. Yeah, they're smart. They're Not that much smarter than me, and I'm just barely able to identify Jack, you know but what it, what it tells me is these guys spend a lot of time thinking about that it turns around in their noggin what turns around in your noggin every day as you walk what's the sense of transcendent cause aren't you glad that 23840 years ago some guys had a sense of transcendent cause it says we we we, be, we we believe these truths are so ultimate and so transcendent and so uh, strong that they're self-evident, that we're created, that we're created equal, and we're endowed by our Creator with unalienable rights that don't come from Washington, D.C. or anywhere else. And we will give our lives and our sacred honor, our fortunes, everything, in the hope that our posterity might understand these, could we put it this way, theological principles, natural law, and nature's God. That's a sense of transcendent cause, and they gave everything. They gave everything. You should read some of the stories of our Revolutionary War heroes, and I don't just mean the obvious ones like you know Washington, Jefferson, Adams, and and the crew, but some of the some of the dog face guys that had those bleeding feet. They weren't doing it for themselves. Do you have a sense of transcendent cause? It's so important. I know it's Jesus. When I first began to think about these things, I was a kid in Vietnam. I was twenty four. I'd never thought about dying before. And I got in a tough situation, and it occurred to me that I might die. And then after, obviously I didn't, and afterwards I found myself thinking, I wonder why I'm alive, and some of my friends aren't. I wonder why me. I wonder what I'm supposed to do. And then all of a sudden I was yanked out of that situation, and less than 24 hours later I was with my beautiful bride in Hawaii on r and R. I I still remember that day vividly because of a couple of things. One was her two-piece swimming suit. Certain things you don't forget as a young man when you haven't been with your lady for eight months. But the other thing I remember is holding her like this and watching our 16-month-old son playing in the sand and the waves out here, whose lifetime had more than doubled since I'd last seen him. And I found myself thinking, why am I alive? Well, my transcendent cause, I didn't even know at the time if there really was a God because I had kind of chucked the faith during the 60s. It was the 60s. And I, I found myself thinking about that that transcendent cause was the only reason I'm alive and all those Bible stories from my childhood came home with a vengeance. The only reason I'm alive is for my family and his family, my bride and his bride. I uh, That changed my life. That That sense of transcendent cause, which was just incipient really in my soul at that point, has grown over and over and over again larger to the place where I'm still sustained in ministry. And that's the point of a transcendent cause. It's not about you. It's the rudder. It's the keel. It's the, it's the foundation under which you live. So nothing shakes you. I saw another phrase there. We're going we're gonna to hurry. Um, over and over again, he keeps saying, you know the word? You remember that word? You remember that? You remember." He's a continual reference to the past. Not only a sense of transcendent cause does the warrior's heart absolutely need, but a settled memory. Certain settled memory, so that you know not only why you are a transcendent cause, but you know who you are. Uh, you have a track record. You have certain memories. A settled memory. Um, General Krulak called it moral touchstones. You have something to go back to. You, you can recall certain things. You can remember certain things. Do you remember the movie Lion King? a lot of new age baloney in there but there is the but the thing turns on a really strong premise remember the pool of reflection this young lion who is the heir to the kingdom the kingdom was flourishing upon a day now she's in tatters and torn to pieces and he this young lion who should be at home ruling the kingdom is out in a wilderness of his own making and despondent and depressed with all these things and he he's lost he's just lost and he sits at the pool of reflection he stares into the water He sees his own reflection. He sees the stars above reflected in the water, and he begins to hear the voices of the fathers from the past. And you remember what they said? Remember who you are. It was the CNN guy. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. When you study systematic theology, you'll never find one of the major subheadings being the doctrine of remembrance. But I think it should be. It's everywhere in Scripture. Everywhere in Scripture. You must remember. You must not forget. If you forget, you will perish. You will. You must remember. You must remember. You must remember. You have to have some roots to relate to. The quickest way to kill a living organism is to sever its roots. You know... Do you remember? Have you looked back through your life? Have you seen God bump up against you numbers of times? Have you marked those downs? Have you, have you built some altars of remembrance there so that when the, the stuff gets thick in the battle, you can remember who you are and why you are, transcendent cause, and who you are, the settled memory. So very important. An anchor. I, I've been in vocational ministry now for uh, over 40 years. And uh, I make a joke out of it, but there is some truth to it, that if I had a dollar for every time I wanted to quit, I could afford to. You know what I mean? Uh, Because ministry, like all of life, is a battle. It's not easy. And if that sense of transcendent cause didn't burn in my soul, if I didn't understand that Jesus gave everything for his bride, then I wouldn't probably have much time for her because sometimes... She's like the book said, Cinderella has amnesia. She doesn't remember who she is either. And some of her people are tattered and torn and depressed and lost in a wilderness of their own making. But that sense of transcendent cause and that settled memory is what allows you to come back. It sustains you. The old proverb says, if you dwell in the past, you lose an eye. If you forget the past, you lose both eyes. That's what's wrong with our country. We don't remember who we are or why we are. And so we're awash in an ever-increasing wilderness of our own making. So the warrior's heart has that sense of transcendent cause and that settled memory that keeps one driving ahead when the firepower is coming. Even Napoleon got this much. He said, when it comes to war, it's three parts moral to one part physical. If Napoleon could say that, how much more should we understand it as students of the Scripture? It's what's inside that matters. A sense of transcendent cause, a settled memory. And there are some other things there in that passage. Did you see, I followed fully? Bruce and I love that phrase because it's a hunting phrase. It's actually a euphemism for hunting. It's, it's meaning I'm on the hunt, on the hunt, following fully. I have a son who loves archery hunting and... Um, Three years ago he stuck a great big six by six bull. Uh and uh you know when you see that happen, you just wait for twenty or thirty minutes for the animal to do its last things and then it doesn't run away from you. And he sat there and waited for his twenty or thirty minutes and he went up to the spot where he'd last seen it, and it wasn't there. And he saw the trail. And for twenty six hours, he and two friends followed the trail. Now if you've elk, ever hunted elk, if you know you're still on the trail 26 hours, you've lost the animal. He's, he's doing well. He's gone. Uh, he poked him a little high just above the lung and below the spine. And it was just muscle and blood. And, uh, so he never found him. But the point is this for 26 hours, it was following fully no distractions, total focus. This is what I'm on. No, no, don't bother me. Don't bug me. I'm focused. That's, that's following fully. Um, so by the time you understand that transcendent cause and you remember who you are, you can begin to focus on the cause. I have a friend who's a, a major warrior. His name is Gary Bykirk. Uh, we didn't know each other uh, on that April day in 1970, but we were only about 12 clicks apart in the Doc Poco Valley. He was at Doksiang, a little Montagnard village with a Special Forces A camp, and I was just up at... Uh, Doc Peck, another little uh, A-camp, and both camps came under siege, a couple of NVA regiments. Uh, it was a very difficult time. Gary was a warrior of warriors. He was a fully following warrior. Um, there at Doc Siang, he was the team medic, and uh, they got hit in the middle of the night with a siege, and so his job is to keep everybody in the fight, and so he's trying to move from fighting position to fighting position to make sure the team members are in function and uh, a 122-millimeter rocket hits behind him. It lifts him up into the air. He said, my first thought was, whoa, there's a purple heart. <laughs> <laughs> and his second thought was, by the time I land, I will be dead. Now, he was injured badly several times in that fight. Uh, contents of his body cavity were on the outside of his body for a while. Um, his spinal column was so badly bruised, his legs were non-functional. He couldn't walk. But he stayed in the fight because of that focus, that follow fully. Several of his team members said, Gary, just go on back to the medical bunker and give it up and die. And his, his response was because he knew the cause and he knew who he was, well, if I'm going to die, why die in there? Why not die out here where the mission's being fulfilled? He got two of his young 14-year-old yard boys that he had trained to be assistant medics, and they carried Gary throughout the fight while he's bandaged his his own intestines inside his body cavity, and he's running around stopping uh, sucking chest wounds and doing CPR on guys and keeping them in the fight. That's what you call focused intensity, you see. Focused intensity. Gary was so focused, uh, he received the Medal of Honor for that particular incident. He already had the Distinguished Service Cross, the Army's second highest award. He already had the Silver Star, the third highest. And Bronze Stars were a dime a dozen for this guy because he followed fully, intensely about it. Now, here's, here's the beauty of the story, and I'll, I'll end here uh, momentarily. But uh, Gary didn't know the Lord at the time, and he still managed to carry what was in here all over that battlefield. He was so badly wounded, he went unconscious. He couldn't maintain his own consciousness. He woke up in a hospital in Pleiku. There was a chaplain uh, standing beside his bed, and Gary knew he was in trouble because he, you know, he was a typical Green Beret. He was focused. He was going to maintain his consciousness, and he couldn't. So he knew he was in big trouble. And the chaplain said, son, would you like to pray? And Gary said, well, I would, but I don't know how to. And the chaplain very wisely said, you know, son, It doesn't matter. God's a really good listener. You just tell him what's in your heart and your soul. Gary survived 30-some surgeries, and he started looking for that God that he sensed, whose presence he sensed in that room. I didn't know his name. I didn't know who he was, but I knew he was there. And he said it took him two years, but he found Christ on a little farm in Massachusetts, having been pulled out of a cave in New Hampshire. Uh, Focused, focused following fully there's more in the passage uh, but my prayer is that you and I would every morning start with a sense of transcendent cause and remember the path the Lord has led us down so we know who we are and why we are I have outside my shower I've had it there for many years but now that we're in a different house I had to dress it up because what we had in the old mobile trailer that we lived in for a few years I wasn't up to Linda's decor standards uh, but but you've seen this little phrase. I, I stare at it every morning when I get in the shower. It says, good morning. This is God. I'll be handling all your problems today. I won't need a whole lot of help from you. So have a really good day. Okay, That's the ultimate transcendent one, who's our ultimate transcendent cause. Every day, start there. And rehearse how he's been and who he's been to you. And then face what you face that day. You won't become shook. You won't become shook. You'll give yourself away. To the king of kings. Out of your warrior's heart. And God will use you. To strengthen other warriors. And to bring other people into the kingdom. It's such a strong thing. Because this world around us. Is looking for a warrior. With a heart. Who knows why he is. And who he is. One. Military story close with that I happen to love. Uh, Christmas Eve, 1944, uh, the Ardennes Forest, not too far from Bastogne. The 82nd Airborne is the theater reserve, and uh, the Germans have broken through in the bulge, as you know, and, and the Allies are reeling, and the American tanks are retreating, and everything is falling apart, and the 82nd is called with a mission to twofold, get there and stop the fleeing Americans and stop the oncoming Germans. The weather's so bad they can't jump like they usually do, so they have to march. For three days they're marching, day and night. By now their eyes are back in their sockets, and on Christmas Eve, one of them, an old uh, infantry private with an M1 in one hand, and he actually had a bazooka on the other, and a cigarette in his mouth, pretty typical GI Joe, and he sees on this little forest trail in the Ardennes, here comes a fleeing American tank. He stays his ground in the road. The tank pulls to a stop, recognizing the silhouette of his helmet as an American. And uh, and the old private says to the guy, the, the fearful tank commander, he says to him, Are you looking for a safe place? And, of course, he says, You betcha. And the young soldier said, Right here behind me, this is the 82nd Airborne, and this is where it stops. Gosh, I love that. You know, he said a few other things in GI language that we won't repeat here at First Houston's First. But the point is, he knew why he was there. His mission was clear. He knew who he was, 82nd Airborne. And so he said, this is the safest place in the world to be right here. That's what we need from each other every day. Wouldn't you think? Transcendent cause, settled memory, following fully. And watch what God does with it. It's pretty amazing. Father, thank you for meeting with us this morning. I thank you for these men who got up early before the day to meet with you and with one another. And I pray, Father, that you would strengthen their warrior hearts, you would strengthen their warrior fellowship, that this band of brothers would, in fact, take serious ground in this sector of the battlefront that you've given to them. I love them already. I know you do far more than I could. And I pray that our lives would be different because we follow the King of Kings and the Warrior of Warriors in whose name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.